It's important to know that the version you hear in the movie was sung by two mice performed by <laughs> <laughs> performed by Philip Glasser and Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody wang chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great! You probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Spearsy. And Brad in New York. And today our good friend Chuck Coverley rejoins us to honor the songs from 1987 that got all the way on the charts, number two, but no further. How far did you get? Oh, we just went down to lookout point and then we got cold. No, 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 no. How did you make out? Um, oh, Spearsy, you old make out master. Did you know that Stuck in the 80s is now listener supported via Patreon? Did you know the movie line you just used wasn't even from the 80s? Did you know that people can join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when they join us at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast? Spaz, you're on your way. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. Elder Ann. Yeah. Let's celebrate. As Steve mentioned, joining us today, the sonorous voiced chart spreadsheet analyzing Chuck Coverly. Chuck, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I never get tired of this series for some reason. And every time we do this, it's amazing. We 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 go through these songs, they got all the way to number two on the chart. Our reaction is like, it's either I completely forgot this was a song in the 80s, or I never knew there were so many bizarre stories behind it. One thing that always strikes me is how did this song not get to number one? You know, so many of the songs when we made this list, you know, and of course I made this made a whole bunch of CDs to listen to on a road trip. And every time a song came on, I'm thinking, how is this not number one? It's just, it was a huge hit, but there was that one song that was just a little bit huger. What is wrong with your charts? Get it together. Right. We've talked about this before. I just wonder, do the artists get upset by that? Does it even, is it even in their wheelhouse that, that, Oh, this almost made it to number one. Does it really make that big of a difference? I don't know if you guys remember, but back on the, the 80s cruise, I think it was 2018 when Lou Graham was there, he definitely brought up the fact that, I think it was, I want to know what love is, it was number two for like five or six weeks behind, was it physical? And then physical and something else kind of traded places. So they had their shot at getting number one, but another song took over. And then by that time, they fell to three and just kept going back. I don't know how much it actually bothers them or their career, but they, it's, it's in their head somewhere. Yeah, I got to think if you have a number one, then you say, oh, I had a number one hit. But if you had a number two hit, you just cash the royalty checks. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of cashing checks. It's something right? I'm not really familiar with. Yeah, I don't know if they have that sticker on the, the CDs or on the albums, you know, featuring the number two hit by... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you can't call it a chart topper unless it tops the charts. That's right. So we're in the year 1987 now, and at this point in the 80s, we have so many number two hits each year that we're going to break them into two shows. So for today's show, we're going to do the – I think there were 11 songs in 1987 that reached number two but no further. We're going to do six songs today, and then we will reconvene at a future date – uh, and location to be determined, and we'll knock out the next five. But uh, for today, six songs, two each. We'll each rep them, and we'll tell you what devilish song kept them out of the top spot. So, Chuck, as our special guest, would you like to do the honors with the first song? I would. Thank you. The first song on this list for 1987, and 1987 holds a special place in my heart, especially this time of the year. This is my freshman year. In college, I had just started uh, doing the BMG record and tape or uh, CD club where you get 12 CDs for a penny. So I was packing my mailbox at the student union building with CDs every week as much as I could. And this was one of the CDs that I got was Notorious by Duran Duran. This song was the first single or the first track on the album of the same name, Notorious, and it released actually in November 86, but it topped the charts in 87. Well, not topped the charts, came uh, peaked at number two in 87. And the album was made during a very difficult time for Duran Duran, and they were just coming off of that whirlwind tour supporting that album Seven and the Ragged Tiger. They had big hits like New Moon on Monday, Union of the Snake, Neither of those attain the same height as the number one song, The Reflex, which went to both number one in the UK and in the US. They were planning on taking a break after that tour anyway, and they had a lot of side projects going on. Andy Taylor, John Taylor, who no relation, split off with Robert Palmer and chic drummer Tony Thompson to form Power Station. You may remember some of their hits, uh, Some Like It Hot and Bang a Gong. Simon LeBond, Nick Rhodes formed Arcadia with drummer Roger Taylor, again, no relation to the other Taylors, and had the hit Election Day, which reached number six in the U.S. They came back together to work on Notorious after the side projects without guitarist Andy Taylor. They said that, uh, I guess, irreconcilable differences. They weren't able to work together. And Niall Rogers not only produced the album with them, he also played guitar in several of the songs until eventually... Duran Duran, now being a trio, had hired session musicians to finish that album in the studio. I'm surprised that this song got to number two, to be honest. I I remember it, of course, and I was a Duran Duran fan. Of all their top ten songs, this one seems... Am I wrong in seeing that saying that this one just seems so unlike the rest? Seems out of place. Yeah, I was surprised that this made it that high on the charts. I like this song, which I was almost a little surprised again when I listened to it last night. Yeah, I do like this song, <laughs> but it does seem like an overachiever from the catalog. I hear it every time in Philadelphia when we watch the Phillies because it's Dee Dee Gregorius, our shortstop's intro song. Oh, that's nice. But you're right. It was a weird time for the band. They had, they had basically self-imploded at Live Aid. 
there's two side projects. I, I was never a fan of either one, to be honest. I, I, I really didn't like Power Station, and Arcadia just seemed like a like an afterthought. And and I'm I'm also shocked to see Election Day got to number six. That seems like it was an overachiever to me. Yeah, aspirational. But still, I mean, this is one of the songs I think that they still play live when they perform. So it it has legs. It makes me kind of wonder, uh, Chuck, what kept this song out of the top spot. Well, funny you should ask. It was actually this mega hit by the Bangles. Slight feet in the streets, bend your back, shift your arm, then you pull it back. Let's hard, you know. So strike a pose on a Cadillac. If you want to find all the cops, they're hanging out in the donut shop. They sing and dance. They spin the club rooms down the block. All the Japanese with Betty and the party boys call the gremlin. Walk Like an Egyptian spent four weeks at number one, and it was the third single from the album uh, Different Light, After Matic Monday, and If She Knew What She Wants, which was released in 1986. And I found this was interesting, that Different Light peaked at number two on the Billboard 200, so it's kind of like a close-but-no-cigar album of its own, but I think that's a whole other list that I may have to put together. Oh, Let me ask you this question. Would this song have been a number one hit without the video? I don't think so. I don't. It's one of those that MTV just played oh over and over and over. You know, every this. time you turned yeah. it on, it was on. The little side glances from Susanna Huff's. Oh, I mean, gosh. Forget about a thousand it. hearts. Well, you know what the side thing was on that? In an interview, she had mentioned that that is her mechanism that she uses to cope with performing in front of a live audience to get over stage fright. She'll pick somebody on the left side, somebody on the right side. And she'll go back and forth as she performs live. And she didn't know that they would be filming that close up and get the look of her eyes. Can I volunteer to be either Mr. Left Side or Mr. Right Side for a concert? I would love to feel like (laughs) Susanna Haas was singing to me for half of the concert. That that would be remarkable. I would always be Mr. Middle. She well, she did a movie. Was it in the late eighties or yeah, early nineties? That her 90s? mom directed, right? What was that? It was a piece of crap. We've talked about it on the show. Yeah, but it, the know. only reason I saw it was because she was in it. Well, that's you know, what they were shooting for. But the only reason worth watching, I'm sure. Yeah, and it, but I still remember that's like. There's a few movies I, I definitely want my money back from the eighties. That one and Light of Day with uh, Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot about I mean, that you one. talk about songs that are number one, and I know this is not the show for that, but we will anyway for me in a minute. You kind of wonder if the Bangles wouldn't rather have had something a little less gimmicky. Am I wrong that this is kind of a gimmicky song? It feels like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe all I, songs are like that. I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. The song was actually written back in 1984 and was offered to Tony Basil who turned it down. Really? Yes. And I'm thinking, you know, she might've been a two hit wonder if she had chosen to <laughs> that song. Consider this Chuck, a good chunk of the songs on her solo album were Devo covers and Devo played as her band for a lot of, so Devo could have been the musicians playing walk like an Egyptian. Ah. Oh man. Mind blown. <laughs> Mic drop show over. I'm done. 
the other thing I noticed, which I don't think I remembered when I watched the videos last night, was almost everybody gets a verse. Yeah. Except. Yeah. For Debbie Peterson. Yeah. So Vicky uh, Peterson, Michael Steele, Susanna Hoffs, of course, they take turns on the verses, but the producer didn't like her vocals. So she was relegated to backup vocals only. And the situation was made even worse because they replaced her drumming with the drum machine. They just, oh. he just cut that wound and poured the salt oh. and vinegar right in. Yeah. So anyway, that we were talking about the music video and it was nominated for the uh, best group video at the 1987 MTV Music Video Awards. It's going to be a hard number two to top, but Brad's got it in him, right? Oh, well, we'll see what we can do here. Uh, you know, the list comes to me. I don't make the list. But here's the next one on our list. That's C'est La Vie by Robbie Neville. Not to be confused with any other Nevilles or other Robbies. There's a lot of a lot of combinations out there. That is the first single from Robbie Neville's self-titled debut album. And put yourself in Robbie Neville's seat for a minute. It's like, oh, I must be pretty good at this music thing. I release an album. I release a single. It goes all the way to number two. I got this thing in the bag. I'm going to be bigger than the Beatles. Mm. Mm. Maybe slow your roll, Bill or Robbie. Released in late... 1986, spent 16 weeks in the top 40, but a mere two at number two in January of 1987. And I have to tell you, there's not a whole lot of info about this song on the internet. Uh, So you're going to get me making stuff up for the next three to five minutes. Uh, Neville had two other hits on this album, Dominoes, which peaked at number 14, and What's It To You, which you might remember, that made it to number 10. So it's really not fair to call him a one-hit wonder, but if you want to, I won't argue with you too strenuously. <laughs> mean. So if nobody remembers Domino's, because I don't, can can we call him a two-hit wonder? Uh, just as long as you call him. That's right. As long as you call him. I was so checked out uh, of popular music by 87 that I literally have no recollection of this song. I just don't. I mean, I wasn't listening to, to Top 40 Radio in 87. But go ahead. I remember this song, and I think it's catchy as heck. It's a good song. You know, there's there's a lot of fun stuff going on. You got some backup singers and some chanting, and you know, this and that. It's it's pretty pretty interesting the way it's put together. And it features um, the hair comb as one of the instruments, doesn't it? Isn't isn't that that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Robbie had five top forty songs. We've named three of them. I won't get into the other two before he basically said. I'm going to pivot to another thing. And in the early 90s, he started writing and producing for other acts and has done work with David Lee Roth, Jessica Simpson, Destiny's Child, a, a ton of people. If you look up his composing credits, it's shocking how much stuff he's written. He ended up composing music for a lot of Disney Channel franchises, High School Musical for one, The Cheetah Girls, Hannah Montana, and a lot of other things that helped my stock options go up while I was working at Disney. So I'm greatly appreciative for that do you finally cash those out whatever happened to those after you left disney oh yeah i cashed those i cashed those out a long time ago okay long time ago the first tranche of that money i used to paint my spitfire well, that's and the rest of it probably just went into the kids college fund. I, I was a contractor at disney so all i got out of the experience was free soda 
Mm, now I know why you want to stop drinking soda. Yeah. So let's talk briefly about the video. Because that's what I like to do. It's eh, it's okay. I, you know, by the time we get to 1987, a lot of the wacky experimentation has fallen out of videos. People want to be like, oh, I'm a serious artist. A lot of pensive Robbie shots interspersed with women and then there's a forklift and then there's some band footage and then there's a backup singer in front of an oil well some old cars and you know neville does a shoulder shimmy thing and that's pretty much what you need to know about that what kept it out of the number one spot it takes two songs to keep say la vie down and the first one is this baby That's Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott, and I was yesterday years old the first time I heard this song. I, I don't remember this song at all. Do you guys remember this song? Oh, of course. Really? Absolutely. I had the CD. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of these, everything on this list, I think I got the CD from BMG Music Club I've, for a, a penny. I've fallen into the Spearsy radio trap for this one. This also is the first single from a new artist's first release. When I was doing the research, I came across what I would consider to be one of the greatest lines on Wikipedia ever. And I quote, according to Billboard, this song is about sex. (laughs) (laughs) Billboard says it. It must be true. Before starting his recording career, Mr. Abbott was an English professor at UC Berkeley. How about that? Him and Sting, right? Sting was an English professor? Yes, but not at UC Berkeley. Gregory spent one week in the top spot, a career for any of us. Good for you, Gregory. Good for you. What was the other song? This is the Steve Spears sad sack chart topper of all time. I bring you this delightful track from Billy Vera and the Beavers. this moment is that the saddest of sad sack number one songs i say it is <laughs> I, I, why why am i keep getting saddled with the whole sad have i seemed sad lately no it's just the, it's the shtick it's okay the, look this song includes the lyric i'd subtract 20 years from my life if the girl comes back are you kidding me this guy's in trouble just so is he saying he just wants to be younger no, I think he's saying I would die 20 years sooner. And in my mind, seeing this video, I always thought that he was so much older than me. So he was pretty much ready to check out at that point. Right, yeah, exactly. So this, yeah. I thought this was interesting. This was originally recorded in 1981, and then it was re-recorded and re-released by a different label after it participated in a little slice of TV heaven known as the Alex P. Keaton-Ellen Reed relationship song from Family Ties. Oh. Yeah. It found new life when they used the song in that show. No surprise. Billy has said that the song was inspired by a relationship he had with a younger woman. She shared all this pain of a recent breakup with him, and he went home and started writing a song, but he didn't know how to finish it. And then she broke up with him. That's where the 
20 years line came from because then he was like oh i know how to finish this song now because i feel terrible and i'm very sad <laughs> this is this is this this is sadder than anything i've ever said or... it's, uh, oh I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't uh, let me just say setting aside all of my sarcasm and disdain uh, this is a beautiful song yes and billy Virus sings this with absolute conviction not a, no wink at the camera no irony it's just you know raw pain on the microphone uh, and I think it might have the saddest saxophone solo of the whole decade. Oh, that's saying something. We keep saying that we're going to do a show about songs with great sax solos, but we did we not? I feel like we did. No, no, no. I used that as a basis for my uh, last great song of the '80s. It had to have a sax solo. That's crazy, man. I'd, if if you could pick a song though that was a close but no cigar song that had. No conviction and plenty of irony. What would that song be, Brad? Well, Steve, I'm glad you asked. Here's our next track from the Georgia Satellites. I got a little change in my pocket going jingle lang Wants to call you on the telephone, baby. I give you a ring, but each time we talk, I get the same old thing. Always no hooky dogies until I get a wedding ring. My honey, my Baby, don't put my love upon no shell She said don't give me no lines And keep your hands to yourself That's keep your hands to yourself I hope you guys like listening to me Because I'm back to back today, baby It's a double feature All Brad all the time On the air everywhere <laughs> So I've got all the newbies this week That's the first single by the Georgia Satellites From their self-titled debut Huh Again, these guys <laughs> must have been thinking music business we got this thing nailed 14 weeks in the top 40 and one week at number two in february that year and a couple other kind of minor hits battleship chains is one people probably remember that's on this album and hippie hippie shake which was on their follow-up but this is clearly the big kahuna in the georgia satellites catalog which is more of a pamphlet probably <laughs> the, the lead singer wrote this song about their drummer's love life which i think is hysterical and according to Song Facts, the group was signed to Elektra Records after executives heard a cheap eight-track demo of this song. The label gave the band a bunch of money to go and cut an entire album, but, but in spite of their best efforts, they could not record a better version of this song than the demo. So they just used the demo. That's the version you hear on the album on the radio everywhere. Really? That's, yeah. That seems kind of rare. Yeah. I know. I thought so, too, because usually that... I mean, I guess it's just that raw energy must have been hard to capture. I'm sorry. I don't Here mean to laugh. Cool. I think I've gone on the record before saying that um, I don't. I don't. I want to be kind here and respectful, but I really can't stand this song. Really? Oh, I like this song. Where are you oh. on this song, Chuck? Yeah, it's not one of my favorites. It was way overdone at karaoke. In the early 90s, I heard every Friday night at karaoke, so I kind of was yeah, like, we're yeah, no. And ask yourself this, why would you sing this at karaoke? Because anybody can sing it. And anybody <laughs> did. That was... Well, to cleanse your palate slightly, let's talk about the video. This is really one of the only interesting ones this whole week. It starts with a band playing in the back of a truck. Yeah, sure, where are the amps? Doesn't matter. Truck arrives at a party. They take the sideboards off the truck, and they're playing at the party, and people are bringing out food. And about, you know, at about the three-minute mark, two men come over to the truck and, and, quote, help the guitarist off the stage, a.k.a. pull him off the stage. And he's brought to the front of the party where a, 
older man with a shotgun in his back encourages him to kiss his new very pregnant bride. They couldn't have a better name for this band. It, I'm it just really saying. all comes together, doesn't it? The, the <laughs> video is directed by Bill Fishman, whose other credits include the Ramones' I Want to Be Sedated. Wow. So it's got a little cred there. Yeah, sure. Now you have me interested. I was sucking on my lemon tea, but now I'm, now I'm fully <sighs> engaged. <laughs> that's just my... That's, yeah. Now that you're engaged, let's stop talking about it. This song was kept out of the number one spot by... Hello, New Jersey. New Jersey, do I hear you calling? It's this baby from Bon Jovi. We gotta hold on to what we got. It doesn't make a difference if we're making a night. We got each other and that's a lot for love. We'll give it a shot. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, a prayer. Take my hand. We'll make song maybe you've heard of living on a prayer steve you heard this one i think vh1 classic did a list of the top songs of the 80s. like they ranked the songs of the 80s and i'm pretty sure they named this one number one what yep uh huh? hungry like the wolf was number two i believe well you know no accounting for tastes but this was number one for four weeks that spring four weeks i mean yeah is, am i wrong in thinking that it felt like it was number one for 40 weeks well it was probably in the top 40 for the whole year yeah and the album was just it was everywhere chuck did you have the album i know brad didn't of course i did everybody had it we would put the speakers in the windows and the you know the quad and blast it you know while we're hanging outside roasting brats or whatever we were cooking in the quad and and this album just got played to death it's very evocative of time and place i really enjoyed that description chuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah everything in here has that has that's, that moment that's cool. no that's you know that i can remember that's the whole podcast right there right is right giving a chance to recall yeah. those things okay back to back to our boy bon jovi yeah we know we know tommy used to work on the dock yeah gina's at the diner and no they do not have sourdough toast this is the East Coast, and they don't do sourdough toast on the East Coast for some reason. I don't understand it, but if I ever find a New York diner that has sourdough toast, I will just start direct depositing my check there. One thing I really wonder, and I don't want to get too controversial here, is I wonder if Bon Jovi calls it uh, Taylor ham or pork roll, because that, that is the New Jersey, that's mm. the fight in New Jersey. Is it called pork roll? Is it called Taylor ham? It's called pork roll. But I think that Bon Jovi being from, you know, the North Jersey shore area might call it. What are we thing. talking about? What kind of I food I feel like I don't have a dog this? in this fight. I think it's a sandwich. You don't know the food? Oh, the holy. Yeah, everybody in New Jersey, New York area right now is going, what? You guys don't know, Brad? I live in California. Yeah. Explain. Oh. Well, you're in New York right now. You haven't gone to a diner at 3 a.m. You're starving. I'm interested. And it's maybe after a show, because you can always find a diner open at 3 a.m. in New Jersey. And you order the pork roll sandwich. What, so what's a Is it just roll? like roast pork, or is it ham? Or? It's kind of like, no, it's it's kind of like mm. spam, but uh, different. <laughs> you just described it's, everything it's in my in refrigerator. A, <laughs> it, it comes in a roll. It's it's shaped like a bologna tube, and it's it's sliced, and it's fried, and it's delicious. But it, it, it kind of is a late night okay. staple for New Jersey people at diners. Oh, 
I've learned a thing today. Yeah, Thank you, John. Yeah, I've never Jordan. heard of this. This is something that's going to have to be investigated. New, new, yeah, new, new horizons and stuck in the eighties cookbook that we've been working yeah. on in the background. Can't, uh, can't all be baloney <laughs> boats. Yeah, that's true. Quickly, let me just get through a couple other things here. This song was written by John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora with Desmond Child, who was an absolute hit machine. He also was responsible for Kisses, I Was Made for Loving You, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, I Hate Myself for Loving You, and, maybe more controversial, Cisco's Thong Song. Oh, God. Among many, 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 many more. You'd think that uh, Robbie Neville has a lot of composing credits. Desmond Child has that many writing credits and more. Uh, one quick note on the video, I don't think I had seen it in probably 30 years, and I was struck by one thing. Those are some good-looking rockers. <laughs> they are all handsome men, and they are lovingly photographed and carefully dressed, and each and every one of them looks amazing. So watch and enjoy. <laughs> okay, I finally get a chance. <laughs> I, I realize I, I've been in a weird mood this show. I've been like blasting songs or... Uh, Perhaps unfairly. Um, maybe it's. Oh, do I get to do that now? <laughs> I don't know what's been holding you back. The pork roll thing has changed me. I'm a changed man. I'm ready to start taking this show seriously. And I will do so. <laughs> Mark that in the calendar. <laughs> I will do so by representing this song from a friggin' cartoon. Somewhere Out There, also known as the American Tale song from the 1986 animated film about a family of Russian Jewish mice who immigrate to America because they're told it's a country with no cats. I'll pause there and let people think about that for a moment. Hmm. This version of the song is recorded by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram, so we do give it plenty of respect. And I'm telling you, it is one of the true earworms of this show. When when it's all said and done, you're not going to remember the pork roll. You're not going to remember... Living on a prayer, you're gonna have this song rolling around your head like some sort of, you know, horrific science experiment. And when that happens, I want you to remember Spearsy played it. <laughs> Spearsy did this to you. The version you hear on the charts in 1987—that's Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. But the version you hear in the movie was sung by two mice, performed by Philip Glasser and Betsy Cathcart as Feifel and Tanya Mauskiewicz. Pause yet another moment for you to consider that. Here's the real one. Here's the real troublesome thing. It's important to know that this song is a song about love felt between two people separated by vast distances, but cheered by the belief that their love will eventually reunite them. It's also important to know 
that the two mice in question are brothers and sisters. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, you know, I think you're taking that to a dark place that it doesn't need to go to. It's probably uh, right. It's 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 a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful song sung by lovely actors and musicians, and we should just sit back and cherish it. After, well, I, I'm not going to go that far, but I don't think we have to, you know, worry about what's happening in the no. mouse household. Yes, the Mousekovitzes are above board. That's important to remember. At the 30th Grammy Awards, the song won two awards for Song of the Year and uh, Best Song Written Specifically for Mice. <laughs> it swept the rodent categories. Yeah, just Nobody saw that one coming. It was nominated for Best Original Song for the Golden Globes and Academy Awards. Can anyone guess what song it lost to? I'll give you a hint. From a band that was also on the 80s cruise. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it. I have thoughts. Yeah, Take My Breath Away by Berlin from Top Gun. Now, fair listeners, you wonder, with bated breath, what sort of mousetrap Steve will step into next. I will avoid it by instead giving you the song that kept this sacred ballad out of the top spot. (laughs) Here's the tune from Huey Lewis in the News. That's Jacob's Ladder by Huey Lewis in the News. And like a lot of the songs we're talking about this week, it's a 1986 song that, again, charted in 1987. It was written by Bruce Hornsby and his brother John Hornsby. It was a huge hit. It became their third number one hit in 1907. It was, as you might imagine, intended for Bruce and his band. But he didn't like the way it was arranged. So he decided mm. to offer it over to his good friend Huey. And Bruce would later record his own version of the song for his 1988 album, Scenes from the South Side. It sounds a little bit like this. Just a pair of So he wrote the song, but then he didn't like the way that it was arranged. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't like what I did here. So somebody else, Rather please take fix this. it. I'll just hand it off to somebody else. Yes. <laughs> Can't be trouble to rework it. It's 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 sort of like I made bolognese last night for dinner. I hated it, so I gave it to my wife to eat. And she so. liked it, and it was a <laughs> hit. And I made a bigger bowl of it later on that I ate myself. By the way, if you're looking for the song's meaning, you obviously have been to Sunday school about as often as I have lately. Uh, Jacob's Ladder is a reference to the staircase to heaven from a dream that Jacob describes in the book of Genesis. That's Genesis is in the Bible, not Genesis is in Phil Collins. If you were on the 80s cruise, the very first one, uh, you saw Huey Lewis perform this song, and I thought it was the highlight of the night. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of the the more, not it's not the, Huey Lewis gets that serious, but 
this feels like the grown-up song from the Huey Lewis catalog a little bit. Yeah. I give you that. This was on the four album, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, the old days. Okay, Chuck, you're up again. What number two song are you representing from uh, March of 1987? It is another song that holds a uh, special place in my heart because, of course, I bought the CD when it first came out in 1986 when I was a freshman in college. And that song is Let's Wait a While by Janet Jackson. Holy shit, dude. How many CDs did you own at this period in your life? How many CDs do you I, own now? I, well, I told you. It was the BMG. It was the Columbia. It was the whatever record and tape club. Well, they, they all turned into CD clubs. And I had them sent to my house. Had them sent to my grandparents' house. I had them sent to college. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I ever actually uh, finished the obligation that I had to, you know, when you got the initial 12 for a penny. But at this point, freshman year, I probably had over 100 CDs. And, uh, you know, I, people would come to my dorm all the time and, and borrow them. I would crate them to the radio station because I had a, I actually worked for the lunchtime crowd uh, at FDU, WFDUAM, 640 T-Neck. And uh, <laughs> I would play just, I had all these songs. And it was whatever was top 40 because they always had those in the ads. Um, and I would just pick them and I had all these CDs and some of them were huge like this album and some were not so huge like the uh, Gregory Abbott, which had the one song. But this uh, album was huge. You know, the Control album peaked at number two on the Billboard chart in March 21 of that year. And it entered the top 40 in February 7th and didn't drop off until April 5th. So it was there for 11 weeks in the top 40. So if you're listening to the top 40 radio, you heard this song all the time. And whenever I hear this song, it always takes me back to sitting on my bed in my dorm playing solitaire. I mean, I don't know. It's the saddest memory, I think, that I have of college. So this is tied to that, hearing that song and playing solitaire. With cards, or, right? With cards? Cards, <laughs> okay. yes. Okay. yes. I, to, yes. Just to make sure it's not some euphemism. Control was a huge album, went on to sell over 10 million copies worldwide, multi, multi platinum. She had recorded two previous albums before that that were like kind of kitty pop type things, but nothing really catapulted her into the stardom like this album. And of course, it was uh, written by Jimmy Cham and Terry Lewis, the mega producers, as well as Janet's best friend, uh, Melanie Andrews, and Janet on there as well, and recorded in Minneapolis at their Flight Time Studios. Now, this song, talking about the, the sex angle there, was released during the uh, height of the AIDS epidemic. And, of course, it was well-received as a message to the young to, hey, maybe it's you know, better to kind of cool things in a relationship and not take that next step to become sexually intimate. Whether this Slow your roll, dude. 
right? Whether this worked or not, eh, probably up to debate. But, you know, maybe some kids heard and said, well, if Janet's not doing it, you know, I'm not going to do it. And they ended up playing solitaire on their bed. Um, <laughs> the song. <laughs> so she actually answered this song in her next album, The Rhythm Nation, 1814. The song Someday is Tonight, where she kind of makes an obvious callback to this song saying that remember when i said that someday we'll be together well someday is tonight so eventually she gives it up uh, to whoever (laughs) she's giving it up to after she waited a while which was probably about two years between albums (laughs) the music video for this song is filmed or presented in black and white which i wonder was influenced because the entire conceptual video for the rhythm nation was that 30 minute long movie that was also in black and white so i wonder if this is the coming of age where it's a little bit more serious like brad talked about earlier that all that crazy experimental weird stuff in the 80s had already been you know it already ran its course and this is a little bit more grown up janet with the the black and white yeah get a little bit more artsy there i mean money changes everything and i think labels started to realize that there was money to be made if they had a good video. And so I, my sense is that then that control shifted away from the artists who were like, yeah, let's do something wacky. Right. There is some controversy around this song, which I didn't know about at the time and I didn't hear, but the song does bear a striking resemblance to the 1975 song Daisy Jane by America. Huh. From the very first piano chord, as soon as they start playing the piano in the first vocals, it sounds almost like the same song. It diverges as the song gets into the chorus a little bit later, but there's no doubt that it is, you know, was lifted straight from that. Or somebody must have heard it. They were definitely influenced because, you know, there there was an out-of-court settlement that was reached with Janet Jackson and Jimmy Jim, Terry Lewis and America, or the writer, Jerry Beckley of America. Find me back to Memphis Find my Daisy Jane. Well, the summer's gone, and I hope she's feeling the same. So, what song kept this out of the top spot? I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> so, the song that kept this out of the number one spot was Lean On Me by Club Nouveau. Lean on me. This song is obviously a funked up remake of that Bill Withers tune from 1972. Uh, That song also hit number one on the Billboard chart back in 1972 for three weeks. And it actually kept two songs out of the top spot. It kept Out of Space, Out of the (laughs) Number One Space by Billy Preston and Too Late to Turn Back Now by Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose. So this song actually has that tradition of playing the spoiler and keeping songs out of the number one spot. The Club Nouveau version of this song was actually their biggest hit, and it was produced by founding member Jay King, topped the chart for two weeks, and was a close but no cigar song of its own 
because it only reached number two on the black singles chart behind Jody Watley's looking for a new love. But that's a whole other chart that I'll have to start on at a later time. And it actually won Bill Withers a third Grammy award because he was the writer of the song taking home best R and B song for 1987. So not too bad. Nice. The video for this song, it wasn't black and white, but it was that sepia tone, you know, like that, that brownish Mm -hmm. kind of beige-ish looking sepia tone had them singing with uh, vintage archival videos of people dancing all over the world, different kind of dances, you know, going back, showing like flappers in the twenties and tribal dancers in the Congo. And it ranked number 94 on VH1's greatest one hit wonders of the eighties. And I would also say that uh, club nouveau is in the, what would you say, Steve, the top 10 trivia guests we've had on the eighties. Oh, sure. Yeah. They were great that time. They were a lot of fun. They were fun. They were great. They were they were good sports about the whole thing. I was just happy because I didn't have to talk that day because I had the lost my voice. You were voiceless. Yeah. Oh, that was that day. It was that day. Yeah. But I have regained it, and I'm ready to use it to represent our last 1987 song. Cast your mind back to April, and uh, this song by Crowded House. There's a battle ahead. Many battles are. Now, I know I've, I've been kind of, what's the word I'm looking for today? Bitchy? That's not the word. <laughs> not sarcastic. Oh, just generally a pain in the ass. Sardonic. There we go. There's the word I'm looking for. But this is one of the songs from the late 80s I really enjoy. Again, a 1986 song that peaked in 87. It's from the debut album of Crowded House, and it was written by Neil Finn. He and his brother of Split Ends fame. And it would top the chart in his native New Zealand and become the biggest uh, hit to date of the band. Because I still have hope that they'll outdo it someday. I do not want to be wrong about that. I, re- I really love Crowded House. <laughs> Explain the meaning of the song. Uh, in an interview with Goldmine, Neil Finn said, quote, I wrote that on my brother's piano. I'm not sure if I remember what the context was. But it was just about, on the one hand, feeling kind of lost. And on the other hand sort of urging myself on, don't dream it's over. That one actually fell out literally without me thinking about it too much. So, hey, now. I, w- I would like to not think so much about uh, reading notes when I'm doing this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just make stuff up. No one's going to check. Yeah, they don't have access to the notes. That same time period, this song kept it out of the top spot. When the river was deep, I Knew You Were Waiting by Aretha Franklin and George Michael. Finally, a song from 1987 for us to talk about. So, interesting story about this one. George Michael was approached back in 1984 to write and produce a song for Aretha, and he adored her. He he was such a fan. And so he thought it was kind of crazy and obscene that, that he would 
be able to write a song that she would sing. Instead, Clive Davis suggested they take a song that had already been written by uh, Simon Climey and uh, Dennis Morgan. Uh, you might remember uh, Simon is the other half of uh, Climey Fisher. What, what is Climey Fisher? Climey Fisher did the song um, Love Changes Everything from Legal Eagles. Oh. So, anyway, Clive suggested this song instead, and Michael was huge at this point. He was he is just coming off of all his success with Wham. He has yet to release Faith, his first solo album. So it's the timing is just right. So the two of them got together and they banged this out. The video performance is all George Michael calling the shots. Reith at that point was happy to sing the song, but had no agenda as far as the video goes and uh-huh. so you see a, a, a video that's a little bit more contemporary than than she was at the time it would go on in 1987 to win the uh, best r&b performance by a duo group at the grammys so there's something to it nice you know what else there's something to the seggies what's happening hot stuff ah by the sound of the gong it must be time for mystery movie moment we will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for the Say It, Chuck. A still from the bottle opener, I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> you seem skeptical, <laughs> as, as if none have been sent out over the last few weeks. Do not believe well, these Are they really exist? postal friendly? Because the post office now is, they're kind of cracking down on stuff. Here's the thing. The old bottle openers were the kind of aluminum kind that were on a keychain, right? Which was great, but I had to mail them in boxes, and that was unpostal friendly to me because I had to go Correct. down to the post office and get special postage for it, and blah blah blah. Just it's a complete overhead nightmare. The new ones are credit card sized, oh. and so I put them in a smaller envelope, and I can just mail them with two stamps on an envelope. Nice. So it's postal friendly for me. I don't really know if the post office cares or not. <laughs> yeah, somebody who has used the post office way much over the last year. Oh yeah. They they are not super friendly in a lot of ways. Since you brought it up, tell people about your business and and how you're doing. Things are are actually picking back up with the masks now because we got this Delta thing, you know, Delta variant going around, but I had a pretty successful 2020 with, with the masks, but we do, you know, headbands. We do a bunch of other things as well on uh, the Fox and possum.com. And, uh, you know, we always try to keep it somewhat eighties related. I'm going to be putting up a lot of the original cruiser designs, which are meant to look a little bit like OP. I'm sure you remember the OP designs back in the eighties and nineties. Nice. So from a couple of shows ago, here was our mystery clip. I'll see the same. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be the same You're a funny guy <laughs> It's funny <laughs> you, That's funny with the I'll be the same thing <laughs> What a psychotic That's Moon Over Parador Am I the only one who, who knew that? Yes You're mean <laughs> You're mean. I get in trouble for picking obscure clips. That was tough. Hey, did you not see it? Um, 
maybe I've watched it for the sh- this podcast. Have we talked about it on the show? Nah, maybe. I, the thing is, it's like... Am I confusing it with Ishtar? Maybe. But see, the thing is, if, if you're smart, well, if, if you're devious, I guess... Oh, if you're smart. No, no, okay, no. If you're ahead, devious... Tell me how I'm not smart. I appreciate you, that. You, can re- you recognize that's Raul Julia's voice, and then that's obviously Richard Dreyfuss's voice. And if you look, there's I think there's only one movie that they're both in together, and it happens to be in the 80s, so... Moon over Parador, which is another movie that you never see on uh, streaming, but that's. I wonder why that is. <laughs> I, I like it. I, if you're on right now, I'd, I'd end the podcast and go watch that instead. Was this one of the movies that may have been on cable late at night and you watched it many times? Yes. Like I, I when I saw this title, I'm like, I have, no, I didn't even know this movie existed. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. But there are a lot of movies that are like that that you see a lot, and other people are like, "I never saw that damn movie." Well, I'm I'm a big yeah. believer in the collected works of Raúl Julia, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check out anything he's done. I can't find any fault with that approach to life. Even Adam's Family, yeah, yeah, that uh, Tequila Sunrise would be another good oh, one. Yeah. What's the other one? The one uh, Presumed Innocent, where he's uh, Harrison Ford's lawyer. That's a good one. Anyway, Brad. Read some winners. Read. Take a huge breath and read all the winners. Here we go. I'm going to give you my super slow delivery. Today's winners include Michael Leggett, Tom Corn in Austria, and Brock in North Dakota. Uh, excellent. All in one breath, baby. <laughs> uh, well, with the, the, the limited breath I have, I will say this. Pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery clip. Add up the number of times that you think about the lady each day. Subtract from the total the number of times that you think about yourself each day. If the remainder is more lady and less yourself, then it's love. If you know it, email us at podcast at satds.com. No smart-ass comments about what a jerk I've been on this show, or your uh, email might get lost. Then tune in a couple weeks, find out if you're a winner. Ah, the Miss Gore frame that is named that 80s tune. It's the OG Seggy of Stuck in the 80s. See, I I can't even pull that off. I say OG and everyone's like, uh. Uh, What was our version of OG back in the day? Do we have a version of OG back in the day? Don't get in your own head, Spearsy. Um, I don't think so, Chuck. I think that's a new thing. We didn't abbreviate Well, OG was like 90s. Maybe. Yeah. We just don't abbreviate things in the A's. We, we savored them. We we drew them out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a, no lo- like a long pull on a on a good cigar. Nobody went scuba diving in the 80s. <laughs> Who went scuba diving? No, that's, a, that's an acronym. <laughs> Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. You're welcome. I love how you used your laser wit. Thank you. That's an acronym. Thank you. Yes, it is. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Meanwhile, back on planet stuck in the 80s. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's the clip we played last time. That's Desire by Gene Loves Jezebel. these guys were just announced as a uh, new act on the 2022 voyage of the 80s cruise that seems like a strange coincidence steve <laughs> yeah maybe i knew about it a few weeks out so anyway, i'm looking forward to, to seeing them I, I've, I've seen them perform live before and they're good so 
Should be something to see. In the meantime, Brad. That will be fun. Oh, my God. This is really short. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe people's computers weren't working. This week's winners include Dallas in St. Joseph, Missouri, and Cliff from somewhere north of Detroit. These are your winners. Celebrate them. Honor them. Carry them around on your shoulders for an afternoon. I think Cliff's being intentionally vague about his location because it's actually Canada, and he knows we're not going to send anything to Canada. Could I be wrong? Um, I feel like he actually has won something. I love Canada, just for the record. I, there, was, there was some discussion on the last Patreon happy hour that we had that, that I somehow am not a fan of Canada that couldn't be further from the truth. Well, we got some sensitive Canadians listening to the show. You know, most of them are, are pretty gracious humans, yes. but you know, we got a couple sensitive ones. <laughs> anyway, Chuck, <laughs> uh, Chuck, why don't you spin the wheel? Let's find out who's going to take home the postal-friendly bottle opener. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Ooh, didn't need to spin it that fast. We only have uh, five names on it. So. It's pretty light this week. Uh, <laughs> small little axle. Uh, Brad, who's the winner? Oh, looks like it's going to stop on San Diego's own Michael Leggett. Nice. Okay, Michael, send us your postal address, and we'll send you the uh, bottle opener. Yeah, I actually am going to be home, so I will have a chance to clear the backlog of postal-friendly bottle openers. Well, don't <laughs> don't make that your only priority when you're home. Do some laundry. Oh, well, I got plenty of things on my list, believe me. Uh, in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Slate. If you know it, email us at podcast.sats.com and tune in in a couple of weeks. Find out if you are a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Uh, more pecani sauce. Uh, this ain't paste pecani sauce. And you ain't Burt Reynolds. But paste is made with your fresh vegetables and spices by folks in San Antonio. This stuff is made in... New Jersey. New Jersey. Darling, we're going to have to shut you down. Pick up the original. Pick up the pace. And we're back. We have just a few minutes left. wanted to say thank you to our newest uh, patrons, Chad Peterman and Sean Ryland. Nice. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I don't know if people knew we have a store for Stuck in the 80s. If you go to sit80s.com slash store, you'll see our, our T-shirts Every T-shirt purchase, we get we get like the, the tiniest wafer thin cut from them, and so that that helps benefit the podcast and defers our costs. And they're not all just logo shirts. We have a lot of shirts that are um, from all over the eighties, including the, the infamous Phoebe Cates mm. unveiling, as you might say, from Fast Times at Richmond High. And my VHS copy has the uh, the line across the middle. Now you can't see anything anymore. Uh. Well, it's, it's a shame. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be back soon with the second half of 1987. But until then, Chuck, Brad, and myself remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. Somewhere out there.